I am so glad to be here today. So I, I broke down on the first song a little bit. I, I, I told my wife, I'm like, my gosh, I'm not a crier, but what's going on with me? I'm just happy to be here, you know. And, uh, God's so good. God's good. Well, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I brought a message from Colossians chapter 2 called Complete in Him. And, and there's so much in the verses we covered then, and I'm going to look at five more verses in Colossians chapter uh, 2, verses 11 through 15 today. Because as I, as I kind of ended that message, and if you remember, I used the example um, of the, uh, the tomahawk ribeye. I know Matt liked that one. It's the tomahawk ribeye and the impossible veggie burger. And I know Nicole would probably be a fan of the veggie burger, but, you know, just bear with me. And, and the whole point of the message that day was, if you remember, I had one point. Today I have four. But the one point was you are complete in Christ. Right. And that when you're in Christ, there's nothing missing, there's nothing broken, that everything that he has, you have. And if the enemy can talk you out of what you are and who you are in Christ, you'll never actually walk into the fullness of what he's given you. And, and so the enemy is continually trying to, to deceive you. Remember we started out in verse 8, it says, uh, Beware lest anyone deceive you through philosophy or empty deceit after the traditions of men, after the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And that, that the enemy will use different philosophies, different traditions, different things of the world to talk you out of who you are and what you have in Jesus. And God has made us complete in Christ, that when you're in Christ, there's nothing missing. So Colossians 2, 9, and 10 says this. I don't know if we have a PowerPoint or not. It says, for in him, speaking of Christ, it says, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. That in Jesus, all the fullness. It, it means it talked about a ship that was full, not just of merchandise, not just of, of, of stuff, but also full of sailors, full of oarsmen. You had to have people to navigate. You had to have people to row. And it was also a ship that was full of soldiers. You had to have somebody to protect the ship from pirates. So it, it, was, a, it was a picture that all the fullness, everything that exists in God the Father, everything that exists in the Son, everything that exists in the Holy Spirit is all wrapped up bodily in Jesus Christ. Every bit of it. It says all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. Then he goes in verse 10 and says, and you are complete. And that word complete is the verb form of the word fullness. So it says you're complete in him. So everything, if we think about Jesus, what's missing in Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. And if you're in Jesus, what's missing in you? Nothing. Nothing. And so that God has equipped you and given you everything that you'll ever need in life. You already have it. It's yours. And the enemy will try to talk you out of that because if he can talk you out of who you are and what you have, you'll never fully experience all God has for you. You know, and you'll, you'll live really just half of a Christian life. And that's not God's best. So today we're going to talk about, as we go forward, think about complete. When you're in Christ, when a baby is born, a baby is born complete. Right? Babies don't evolve into adults. Babies are born with a skeletal system. Babies are born with a nervous system. Babies are born with organs and skin and fingers and toes, but they're smaller versions of an adult. Right? Babies don't evolve. They don't come out as a lump and then start growing arms and legs. Oh, oh he got his eyeballs today. Thank God. <laughs> oh, the toes popped out. He's going to be a, a monkey. Oh, no, he's a human. No. No, babies don't evolve into adults. Babies are born complete. And when you're born into Jesus, you're born complete, but you're born a baby. And that's why Peter says, 1 Peter 2.2, he says, As newborn babes, or newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word, 
that you may grow thereby. Doesn't say that you may evolve. He says that you may grow. He said, you're a baby. And what do babies need in order to grow? They need milk, and then they eventually need baby food, and then they need food food, and then they need a tomahawk ribeye, eventually. Eventually, but not when they're babies. But, but Peter says, he says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. See, unfortunately, we just have a lot of baby Christians that have never had a desire for, for God's word. And unless you get into the word and you start understanding the word. See, I, I know a lot of Christians that know the menu. Oh, John 12, 17 says this and 1 Corinthians 2, 5 says that's great. I'm glad you know the menu. But have you ever digested what's on it? See, you can know all those scriptures. You can know all those references. And I think you should. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I memorize scripture. I, I know them. But that, that doesn't mean anything if the word doesn't get in you. Because if the word doesn't get in you, you're not going to grow. And you're going to stay. You're going to be a 37-year-old baby. You know, and here you are, you now you've, you've been coming to church. We've been here seven years. Maybe you got saved seven years ago. Maybe you got saved 37 years ago, but I'm still wiping your rear end. All right? I don't want to wipe your rear end, and I don't want to feed you your bottle. I want to give you strong meat that belongs to mature believers. And I want to feed you, and I want God's Word to feed you, but I'm not going to bottle feed you your whole life. You need to learn how to get in the Word and start to grow on it. So... Today, I want to go into phase two. We're going to get a little bit deeper into being complete in Christ. And, and Paul goes on to list, uh, four, you know, there's probably more in here that I picked out four. And I don't think we're going to get all of them, but who knows? We'll see how fast we can go. So a couple things he talks about. He says that you are completely circumcised. I'll give these to you ahead of time. Completely circumcised. Ooh, what's that? Uh, <laughs> I don't like the sound of that one. Completely alive, completely forgiven, and completely victorious. And so these are just a few things that if you don't understand them and you don't really have a grasp of them, enemy's going to take your lunch and pop the bag, heard somebody say once. Completely circumcised, completely alive, completely forgiven, and completely victorious. All right, so we're going to go through these. I'm not going to read the whole passage ahead of time. Uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit, uh, give you some scriptures. I encourage you to write these down. I encourage you to maybe take a picture of it, go home, study this out for yourself. I'm just going to give you some really uh, high-level view today. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. We're going to be going down through verses 15 today. It says, In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, what do we know about circumcision? Like, I think men probably, you know, it's more, this is, you know, circumcision is more popular with men than it is women. That's a joke. Like, I don't know any women that have been circumcised, right? So circumcision, what, what happens in circumcision? Circumcision is a cutting away of the foreskin on a, on a baby boy, hopefully a baby boy. Uh, Abraham was 99 years old, imagine that. But, uh, and so cutting away, if you think about it, you cut away the foreskin, and it's circum, which means circular or circumference. It's a cutting away of all of it. So it's not like a progressive cutting. Oh, I think we'll cut a little bit today and let, it, let him go a year or two, then we'll cut a little bit more. Oh, yeah, he's 17 years old. Let's cut a little bit now. They do it all. It's a one-time event. And then what, do they, what do they do with the, the foreskin? I don't know anybody that keeps it, right? Maybe you do. That's a little weird if you do. <laughs> but, but most people discard it. And so that's the circumcision made by hand. Somebody actually surgically removes it. But Paul's talking here about a circumcision not made with hands. So there's a, there's a circumcision in the natural that gives us a little picture, but there's also a circumcision that takes place in the spirit realm that's done by the Holy Spirit himself, where he cuts away. See, it says, a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of sins of the flesh. When you get saved, and we've talked about before about the old man, what is he? He's dead. 
When Jesus goes in and performs circumcision on your heart, he removes all, he doesn't leave a little bit for you to deal with. He doesn't cut a little and say, hey, let's see how Fred does for a few years, and I'll, I'll think I'll trim a little more off, and let's see how, you know. no. He circumcises my entire heart. He cuts off that the body of the sin of the flesh may be done away with. And he performs a circumcision inside of me. Why is that important? Why is it important that we understand that God cut that away? What's the significance of it? Well, if you look back to where God instituted circumcision, he did it with Abraham. And you can read chapter 17 of Genesis 17. And God, it's, 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 Abraham's 99 years old. And God reaffirms the covenant to him that he made back in chapter 12. And it's the chapter where he says, you shall no longer be called Abram, but I'm going to change your name to Abraham. And he said, I'm going to fulfill all of these promises. And nations are going to come out of you. And kings are going to come out of you. And your children will inherit. And he gives all these promises. And he says, that's the covenant I'm making with you. And now here's your part. You got one thing to do you got to seal the deal. Guess what he had to do? He said, I want you to go circumcise yourself. <laughs> like, imagine Abraham. He's like, what? <laughs> Noah got a rainbow. i got to go circumcise myself? Like, what kind, of, what kind of deal is that? But he says, go, let's go to the next slide. He says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child shall be circumcised. You may circumcise in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant. So every time, every day, there is a reminder of the covenant of God. They have a physical, visible symbol of what God's doing. He says, I want you to go circumcise yourself. I want you to circumcise everybody in your house. And anybody that you've brought into your family from the outside, I want you to circumcise them too. Because when they're circumcised, they now can participate in the covenant. And so when Jesus circumcises your heart in the New Testament, it puts you in a position to be a partaker of the covenant. See, what happens a lot of times is when people read the Old Testament or even some of the New, they'll say, oh, well, those promises were for the Jews. Now, there were some physical promises for the Jews, true, that don't apply to us. But the spiritual promises for the Jews apply to us spiritually because we have be Actually, we are Jews. Did you guys know that? When God circumcises you, Romans 2 says this. Let's go there. I want you to hear this because kind of funny story. We were at a restaurant one time uh, in Frostburg. It's closed now. It was called the Opati. Anybody remember the Opati? It was really kind of an uppity. And we took this missionary uh, family there with us, my mom and dad. We were, looking back, this was probably not a good topic, but we were talking about this jeweler that we're friends with, and he is Jewish, and he keeps these jewels in a freezer. And uh, we, we just probably made maybe some comments about Jewish people and their money. Okay, so if you're Jewish, I apologize. There was a Jewish guy and his family at the table next to us, and we didn't know it. And he gets up, and he's a big guy, and he comes over and he speaks in Egyptian, not Jewish, because he started using a bunch of F-words at our table, right in the middle of this nice restaurant. And, and he goes, I'm going to take you outside. I'm going to beat you up. And my dad's there. And my dad was at the time pretty. And when my dad gets mad, his nostrils do this. And he stood up. He goes, I'm Jewish too. I was like, looked at my mom like, we Jewish? Don't I? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I don't know it's Jewish. And the guy goes, you are? And my dad goes, I am. Okay, then. The guy sits down, fight averted. <laughs> Remember, the spirit realm is a higher truth than the physical realm. <laughs> Fortunately, my dad knew that spiritually he had been grafted in because he had been spiritually circumcised the day he accepted Jesus. And so he could say, I am truly Jewish. I'm not physically Jewish, but I am spiritually Jewish. Paul says this. He says, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not a letter of praise, is not from men but from God. Paul goes on later in, in the book of Romans and says, hey, just because the Jews rejected me, don't think that you, the church, are all it. You're not replacing Jews at all. You are the wild olive branch that, that I have grafted into the real tree. Like we get to participate in those promises because we got grafted in. And because he said, don't brag about it. You're just along for the ride. But the promises are to the Jewish nation, but because of Jesus, because he was the seed of Abraham that now came and brings us into this place where we can participate in all those same blessings. So a lot of times people will try to talk you out of what is truly your inheritance as a son and a daughter of God. Don't let them do it. The enemy will want to steal that from you. Paul goes in Galatians, and, and there was a big issue in Galatians where you know, people are saying, oh, you've got to be a circumcised to be a Jew. Paul says, no. He said, circumcision avails nothing. Uncircumcision avails It doesn't matter if you're physically circumcised or not. It means nothing. What is important is the circumcision that takes place the day you get saved. Amen. And when that happens, look at this in Galatians. It says, therefore now know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Get this, preach the gospel. The gospel didn't start getting preached when Jesus came. Actually, God preached the gospel for the first time in the Garden of Eden. When he said a seed is going to come, it's going to crush your head. That's what's called the first gospel. But here we see that God actually preached the gospel to Abraham saying, in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That's us. We get to participate in a promise that was originally given to the Jews because Jesus came, circumcised me, and now I have a sign and a token that I can participate in that same covenant. That's good news. That's good news. So when you read promises in the Bible that, that were for them, they're for you. The new covenant's for you. All those blessings are for you. The blessings of Abraham. It said that, that Jesus became a curse for us. That cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So that all those things come to us. It's amazing. He said, so then who are faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So the first thing you got to know is. You have a covenant right to those same blessings. You have a covenant right. It's your right. Don't let anybody, don't let the enemy ever talk you out of it. God wants you healed. God wants you well. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to live a good life, to have a long life, to fulfill all, all those things. Those are your covenant rights. Because you've been circumcised in here, not outside. Next thing he says, you're completely alive completely alive. You're circumcised, you're also completely alive. Look at this verse. It says, in you being dead. Everybody say that. I was dead. I was dead. But it says, he has made you alive together with him. Now that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And hopefully I'll, I'll be able to explain this a little bit. It says, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So before you got circumcised by, the, by Christ, or by being in Christ, you were dead. You were literally born dead. And it said that you've been made alive together with him. When did Jesus come back to life? The day that he rose from the dead. He came back, he came to earth as a man, lived as a man, died on the cross as a man, went in the grave three days, brought back to the life by the Holy Spirit, and he was raised from the dead. He was made alive. And this says that we were dead and that we were made alive together with him. Now, I'm going I'm to get to why that's a big deal. Look at this. So I told you you're born dead. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, by one man, through one man, sin entered the world. And because of sin, what, what, what happened? Death. The minute Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, what happened? They died. They didn't die physically because Adam lived, I think, 963 years. 
He died spiritually the instant that he ate from that fruit. Now, death in the Bible means separation. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, it means you're separated. So he instantly became separated from God. And it says, everybody born after that, it says, by one man's sin, death entered the world. And because of that, death passed upon all men. So when you were born, you might have been physically alive, but you were literally born dead. You were born separated from God. See, a lot of people think that you're a bad person that needs to be made good. That's not true. You're a dead man or dead woman that needs to be made alive. See, it's not getting you from being bad to good. That's not it. It's bringing you from death to life. Because you're dead. Until you accept Jesus, you're dead. You've got no chance of of having any meaningful life now. And you'll never have a meaningful life in eternity because it won't be spent with him. You are born dead. You need to be made alive. Paul, Paul uses the only time, two times this word is used. It's, it's, a, it's a Greek word that, that means alive. It means to be born or produce offspring, but to do it together, to do it at the same time, to participate in. He uses it in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God, Phil told me this this morning. <clears throat> he said, anytime you use the word but and it doesn't have God after it, you might as well forget everything it says. This, if you read the first part of Ephesians 2, it talks about how you used to be in your old life. Now it says, but God, who is rich in what? Mercy. Mercy is not giving me the thing that I deserve. What did we all deserve? Death. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, wherewith he loved us. Because God loved you and had mercy on you, he didn't give you what you deserved. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. So people will say, oh, you're one of those once saved, always saved guys. I get this. So do you believe in once saved, always saved? Anybody ever asked that question before? I get asked all the time. So I kind of am and I'm kind of not. I'll tell you why. Saved, here's why it's confusing. Saved can mean several different things. Saved can talk about your eternal state. Saved can talk about healing, forgiveness, deliverance, all those things. So I've had somebody ask me one time, they're like, well, if you're once saved, always saved, and saved also means healing, and I was healed today, but then I get sick tomorrow. If I lost my healing, then that probably means I could also lose my salvation. That's kind of why I don't like to subscribe to once saved, always saved. You guys ever hear a triple D? You ever watch triple D? Dine-ins, what is it? What is it? Diners, drive-ins, and dives. So, I'm more of the Oh, I'm going to call it this. I'm not O, O-S-A-S, I'm not that. I'm, I'm O-triple-A. Once alive, always alive. So here's the difference. So salvation, so part of you, you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved one day. So salvation is more of a progressive thing. So you get saved the day you accept Jesus. But there's also, you remember your three parts, your spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is instantly changed, forever changed. It'll never, a billion years from now, it'll never change. Your body, the day that Jesus comes back, your body will be made what? Like his glorious body, it says in Philippians 3.21. My vile body will be changed in an instant into his body. It also says in 1 Corinthians 13, Bob shared this last week, it says, For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but then that which is perfect has come. I will know even as I am known. So there's a day when that which is perfect has come, when Jesus comes back, that my brain no longer needs renewed. Boom! It's going to have all knowledge. So those parts of me that are still continuing to be saved, my soul, my body, you know, healing and all that, they, they still come and go. I still have to fight those battles. They'll come a day when they're all complete. It's paid for, but
but it's not yet redeemed. My spirit's been redeemed, but not yet my body or my soul. So they're, they're paid for, but the redemption not completely taken place yet. So all that to say this. When Jesus rose from the dead, right, who rose with him? All right, say it. I did. I did. Right? We were made alive together with him. Therefore, his life is my life. His resurrection is my resurrection. Did you ever hear this term in the Bible? It's, you write this down. Colossians 1.18. And Revelation 1.5 is where it's found, two times in the New Testament. Jesus is referred to as the firstborn from the, firstborn from the what? Dead. He's called the firstborn from the dead. Was Jesus the first person, what was that? Colossians 1.18 and Revelation 1.5 is where you can find this. Had people been raised from the dead before Jesus? Yeah. All the way back, Elisha, right? Raised the widow's woman, 1 Kings 17, 18. Jesus raised Lazarus. What happened to all those people that got raised from the dead? They died. See, there's a difference between being raised from the dead, which Jesus was, but he was also the first born from the dead. See, when he died, he died once. And when he was born from the dead, to never die again. Everybody raised before him eventually died. Jesus was literally born from the dead. And so when I am raised with him, his resurrection becomes my resurrection. His life becomes my life. I was made alive with him. So Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 6. He says, Know this, or we know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he is, get this, never going to die again. Do you guys believe that? How many times did Jesus die? Once. And then since then, how long has he been alive? Forever. And he'll what? Never die. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for you all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider. Now that word consider, it also, another translation says reckon. It's literally an accounting word. It means to account. Accounting deals with facts and figures, not feelings. It's not like, I feel feel like I got a hundred bucks in my checkbook. Does, it, does that matter if I feel like it or not? No. What do I need to do before I write a $100 check? I need to look at the, like, what's the bank say? That's what this word means. It says, I want you to deal with facts and figures on this. That's how exact this is. He says, consider yourself the same way. The same way as Christ. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive, alive, alive to God. When he died, I died. When he was born, I was born. When he was raised, I was raised. When he was seated, I was seated. All those things use that word together with. So if Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, what do you think we were? We're also the first or second born from the dead. Like, we were born, what, what did you used to be? Dead. dead. And what are you now? Made alive? You just not, you're just not alive because other people were resurrected from the dead. There's a difference. You were made alive with him. That's what you got to get down in here. And so what will happen... Are you one? I don't care if you believe this or not, because when you struggle with this, the enemy will will keep you trapped in this little box. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I going to heaven? Am I not? And you'll spend 50 years worrying about that. Because if he can get you worried about that, you're never going to tell anybody else what they need to do. 
you got to get it down in your spirit that I'm alive with him. He was born to never die. I'm born to never die. His resurrection is my resurrection. And forget about it. Or don't forget about it, but you know what I mean. So am I once saved, always saved? Not really. Am I once alive, always alive? You bet. Because God's word says that I was made alive with him. And he was born to never die. And he died once and he lives forevermore. What's Paul saying in Galatians 2.20? He says, for I have been crucified, past tense, with Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He does it. He lives in me. He never dies. Go back to, what was that statement there I put? Jesus' resurrection life is this. He'll never die again. And that's yours too. That's another one of those philosophies that the enemy will use to just cheat you out of what you have. Completely forgiven. This is another one people deal with. Completely forgiven. It says this in the next verse. It says, this is the end of verse 13. Having forgiven, how many? All. Having forgiven all trespasses. Some translations say all sins. Having forgiven all, having wiped out literally your slate had all these things on it that you did. Right? Stole, cheated, lied, slept around. You can go on and on. It said, having forgiven all your trespasses, he wiped out the requirements that were against us, that were contrary to us. All those things in the law that says you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. Whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Wiped out. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. See, this wasn't, the law was not in your favor. People say, we need to keep the Ten Commandments up. No, we don't. All they do is point to your guilt. They served a purpose. What we need is John 3.16. That God so loved the world that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We don't need a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. Jesus fulfilled that. It's done. He says he wiped them out, forgiving all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us which was contrary, and took it out of the way. What did he do with it? Do you know when they crucified somebody, what did they put above Jesus? King of the Jews. That's what they accused him of. You know, if you were to hang on that cross, and it says we were what? Crucified with him? All your stuff is up there. See, you're still carrying it around, and it was nailed there 2,000 years ago. It's been wiped out. I don't need the Ten Commandments to tell me that I'm sinful. I need grace to tell me that I'm forgiven. And because that thing has been wiped out, nailed to the cross, done away with, and forgotten. Paul says this. Next slide. Paul's preaching in uh, Antioch of Pisidia. Acts 13. You can read the whole thing. He says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins... And by him, everyone who believes is justified. That means declared righteous, innocent, guiltless, faultless. That you are declared righteous from what? All things. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Do you realize that everything you did before you got saved, you did as a dead man? (laughs) what dead man's sin is better than another's? And do you realize that even the sins that you commit after you get saved have already been forgiven? 
See, when you think that, so when God says, I forgive you of all sin, he means big sins and little sins. He means sins that you did on purpose and sins you did by accident. He means sins of commission and sins of omission. You know, you can, it says to him it knows to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. That you can sin actually by not doing the thing that you know you're supposed to do. There's things that you can sin. You can cause your brother to stumble. It says he that causes the brother to stumble sins. You may not even know you did it, but you did it. How are you going to remember all the ones that you don't even know about? See, God even forgave you of sins that you haven't even committed yet. And you're like, well, how can God forgive me of a sin I haven't committed yet? When did it say he nailed that thing to the cross? How long ago? 2,000 years ago, he said he took the handwriting of the, of the requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us, nailing it to his cross, which was how long ago? 2,000 years ago. When did you get saved? 2017, 14. I got saved in 1977 when I was seven years old. Every sin that I committed, even up till the day I got saved, was in the future compared to the cross. So when he forgave Fred Timbrook, he forgave me all the way to 1977, back in zero, zero. And if he could forgive my sin that was future, he's forgiving sins that you haven't even committed yet. Because every sin of every person born sin the cross was in the future compared to the cross. Now, does that mean you can go out and sin? No. No. But that's what he's done. See, John says this. He says, my little children, I write to you that you sin not. 1 John 2, 1. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. See, are you supposed to? No. But if you do sin, he's sitting there at the right hand of the Father where coincidentally you are too. And he's saying, hey, Dad, already paid for that one. You remember back there? Oh, yeah, uh, got already paid. Remember? Yeah, wiped it out. Yep, do that. Yep, done. It says that you have an advocate with the Father. That's right. Christ Jesus, the righteous. Your advocate is your defense attorney, right? Anybody ever had a defense attorney? You can't get a better one than Jesus. He wins every case. He never loses. I mean, I'd, I'd hire him. He's a good one. That's the only one I'll recommend. So here's the problem. Bob gave a word last week. He said, Bob, I appreciate that. I appreciate you taking a, having the, the boldness to come up and do that. But he said, we just need to love people. It's that simple. But, you know, if you look in the New Testament, it says, love others as you love yourself. See, a lot of people can't love other people because they don't love themselves. And a lot of people don't love themselves because they don't understand that they've been forgiven. See, if I'm still holding guilt for things that I've done or things that I've committed, and I don't understand how much God's forgiven me, I can't really forgive myself. And if I can't forgive myself, I can't love myself. And if I can't love myself, I certainly can't love you. And so Jesus goes to have dinner with this, this uh, Pharisee. It's, he's called Simon the Pharisee. He goes to his house for dinner. And he goes in. He's having dinner with Simon. And this prostitute comes in. And she begins to, to weep at the feet of Jesus. Now, now, back then, they would lay down and eat. And so she's behind Jesus, and Jesus is facing the Pharisee, and she's washing his feet with her tears, and she's uh, uh, drying his feet with her hair, and she's anointing his feet with oil. And Simon the Pharisee is sitting there, and he's, he's thinking. He says, if Jesus knew who this wicked woman was kick her out 
And Jesus reads his mind, and he says, Simon, I've got a question for you. And Simon says, what is it, Lord? And he said, there was two people, there was a creditor that had two debtors. And he said, one owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. And it said it got to a point where neither could pay their debt. The 50 couldn't pay their 50, and the guy owed 500, couldn't pay his 500. And it said the creditor freely forgave them both. And so he says to Simon, he said, which one would love him more? And Simon says, well, certainly the one that he forgave the most. And Jesus says, you've judged right. Said, so, so he says, Simon, do you see this woman behind me? And Simon's like, well, yeah, how could I miss her? Uh, and I kind of always wondered how the woman knew how to get to Simon's house, but that doesn't really tell us that. But uh, she apparently was, had frequented that place before. And uh, he said, you see this woman back here? And Simon says, yeah. He says, well, when, when I came to your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears. And, and you didn't bother to give me a towel, but she's dried my feet with her hair. And you didn't even give me any oil that they would just anoint people's head, but she has anointed me with this costly oil and put it on my feet. And then he goes on to say this in verse 47. He says, therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so I used to struggle with this verse a lot because I didn't really live a, a, a bad life. So and you, when you look at this story in terms of quantity, you're like, well, if I haven't really been forgiven of a whole bunch of sins, then I can't really love a lot. Well, that's really not what he's saying here. You have to understand a little bit about the tense of these verbs. In the first one, it says, he who that is, is forgiven of much, that word forgiven is in the perfect tense. And you've heard me talk about this before. It means forgiven once and for all time, never to be repeated again. The second forgiven, where it says little forgiveness, it's in the present tense, which means I sin, I need to get forgiven. I sin, I need forgiven. I sin, I need forgiven. I sin, and that's what the Old Testament did. You sin, you make a sacrifice. You sin, you make a sacrifice. You sin, you make a sacrifice. So he's saying to Simon the Pharisee, who was very steeped in the law, he said, unless you understand that you've been forgiven much, that you have been completely forgiven, never needing it again, that it's already been forgiven for once and for all time, then you can start to love people the way this woman does. But when you live a life where you're constantly worrying and struggling with, oh my gosh, I need to get this, I, I got to confess this, I got to, now do you need to, yeah, confession of sin is healthy. But when you spend your life inwardly focused, you're never any outwardly good. And so the enemy wants you to focus on your sin, Jesus wants you to focus on your forgiveness. And when you understand that you have been completely forgiven, you can love people the way that Jesus did. See, it's very freeing. Do you remember the verse? I think it's Philippians 2. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And we instantly go to the, the humble part and the serving part. But before that, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And then it says he humbled himself. And we jump on that. But if you back up, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus knew who he was. It, it meant that equality with God was not something to be attained. And, and so the point to us is, when you learn who you are and you have the mind of Christ, when you understand who you are in Christ, all of a sudden you can serve people at a higher level. Jesus, he, he wasn't trying to grasp who he was. He knew who he was. And that's the point to us. He says, I want you to have that mind in you that you know who you are. And when you know who you are, you can start humbly serving people the way I do. You can love people the way I do. But you got too many people get hung up on, on their past and, and they're holding this. God's, it says that God has not only forgiven, but it says he chooses to remember your sins no more. 
If God's not remembering them, why are you? And the last thing, we'll just touch on this real quick, completely victorious. Verse 15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, referring to the cross. It literally was a picture of of a, a, a Roman general that when they would defeat some kingdom or some city, they would take the rulers of that city and publicly parade them naked through the streets. Like, you know, hey, look who we captured, by the way. Check them out, you know, and, and humiliate them. I, I like the way the message says it. Look at the next one. It says, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Do you know that when Jesus had that victory, if, when, did he, when did he defeat the enemy? When he went to the grave, remember he got the keys to hell? Guess who was buried with him? Guess who rose with him? Guess who was made alive with him? Any ideas? Guess who was in that procession with him? Right? He's leading principalities and powers through the streets, stripped The word disarmed means literally stripped of all their power and authority. When Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me, if all of it's given to him, guess who has none? The enemy. Because if Jesus has it all, the enemy's got nothing. So when he took it away, when Paul says this, he says that we are more than conquerors. So what's a conqueror do? A conqueror is somebody that goes in, wins the fight, and enjoys the spoils, right? Well, we're more than that. You know why? Because he went in on our behalf, won the fight, and we get to enjoy the spoils of war that he conquered. That makes us more than conquerors. So when it says, it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, like what? Like a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour. I want you to think of him like this. It says he's a what kind of lion? A roaring lion. He's had all his fangs pulled out. He's been disarmed. All he can do is gum you to death. Right? He's got this really loud roar. And that's all he's got is the ability to speak lies. He's got the ability to plant seeds of doubt. But he's been disarmed. He doesn't have any power or authority over you. And he's looking, it said he's seeking somebody who he can devour. You know who he can devour? The person that he lied to about how complete they are in Christ. When you get that solid in you, oh, huh, it's just a barking lion. Eh. It's just a toothless lion back there. He's been declawed, defanged. He might nub you a little bit, gum you to death. No, he won't gum you to death, but maybe bruise you up a little bit. But he's defeated. He's defeated. And Jesus' victory is your victory. Completely circumcised. You are are part of a covenant generation. You're a covenant people. You're entitled to all those blessings. You're completely alive. Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' life is your life. You're completely forgiven. He's paid for every sin, past, present, future, big, little, known, unknown, conscious, unconscious, Intentional, unintentional, all nailed to the cross, all wiped out. And you're completely victorious. You're completely victorious. We'll finish with Romans chapter 8. It says, In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Let's just say this. Let's, let's just stand up. I want you guys to let's just speak this over us right now. It says that he disarmed principalities and powers, right? So let's just, let, we're going to read verse 38. I am persuaded that neither light, death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Nothing. Paul says, I'm persuaded. He tells the Corinthian church this, or I'm sorry, the Ephesian church, he says, when he's praying for them, he says, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. See, you need to know about God to grow in God. And the more you start getting in the word and understanding, you can become persuaded. You can become to the point where you're not going to talk me out of this thing. Because I know God, I know what he's done in my life, I know what his word says, my experiences are starting to line up with what he's promised. You're not going to talk me out of it, I'm persuaded. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. Remember, where are we at? We're in Christ. With Christ, in Christ. He's in you, you're in him. Let's just bow your heads. Let's, let's close. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I just sense that there's there's people here today that, that have needed one or, or, or maybe two parts of this Lord just to just to clear up some questions and doubts maybe things that the enemy's been dealing with well the enemy's just been planting seeds in their head and thoughts and and worries Lord that's hindering them from the life that you have for them so Holy Spirit I, I just pray that your word would fall on, on fresh hearts here today, Lord, that the enemy would steal no seed. God, we just bless your name today. 